what were the attitudes of some of the other male staff that you worked with and how they tried to justify them? Well, yes, there was another shocking incident that happened actually the night that Reagan was shot. The assassination attempt on President Reagan. I was in the White House when that happened. And this was with Dr. Martin Anderson, my boss, the chief domestic policy advisor's deputy. His name was Ed Gray. Ed Gray was a magnificent guy. I really liked him a lot as a person. And uh, he was the deputy uh, domestic policy advisor to President Reagan in the West Wing of the White House, also close to being over the Oval Office. Well, the night that President Reagan was shot, and we had learned that he was going to survive, which itself was a kind of great miracle for the country, um, Ed Gray was in his office, and so was I. We were the only two who were still in the White House. There's something told me, don't leave, just stay. And I didn't think anyone else was there. And I was getting hungry. It was close to midnight. And the uh, White House mess, the restaurant, as it were, the White House mess uh, can get you something to eat 24-7 because they have to get the president or the first lady something to eat 24-7. So I was about to go down to the White House mess and get something to eat and bring it up to my desk on the second floor of the West Wing. And as I did, I walked by Ed Gray's office and I noticed that the door was ajar and there was a light coming from it. And I thought, wow, I should either, I should probably go in and turn out that light. So I knocked just in case someone was there and I heard Ed's voice say, hello, come on in. And I cracked open the door and, I, and he said, Barb. I said, Ed, you're still here. He said, Barb, you're still here. He said, well, come on in. I didn't know you were here. So we went in and obviously this was a very emotional moment. We were communing with each other after a tremendous miracle that both President Reagan and Jim Brady, the White House press secretary, had actually survived this assassination attempt because Brady got the bullet that was intended for the president. And of course, Reagan got a bullet too, but Brady got the bullet in the head. So uh, I sat down with Ed Gray and we decided to call the White House mess and have dinner delivered, which we did. And as we were sitting there talking to each other, we, we both had the sense that we probably wanted to think and talk about something else. So however it came up, I asked Ed Gray, I said, Ed, can you explain to me why you and Ed Meese and the president apparently are against affirmative action? And he smiled and he said, well, sure. He said, the reason we're against affirmative action is because we believe that we have the right to discriminate against anyone we want. And I said, but, but why? This is against all of the, the Supreme Court and lower court rulings in this country and, and against the, the vast majority position of the American public. And he said, well, the reason is that we believe that the First Amendment Free Association Clause uh, supports our right to discriminate for anyone we want and therefore inadvertently against anyone we want. And I came back and I said, well, that's fine in a public men's club or something like that, but in the open economic marketplace, the courts have determined that it's not constitutional to do that. They have regulated this right under the Constitution for free association in this way. And then he came back to me with what I think is really the nub of the whole thing from the right wing's point of view. And we're talking basically about white males in this country and originally propertied white males. And he said, well, you know, 
This is our country. White males founded this country. We are the founding fathers. This is our country. We're under siege, and the minorities are trying to take it away from us. Well, that really got to the bottom line and the nub of the whole thing. And because we liked each other as individuals, we agreed to disagree about that issue. And then something truly historic happened. There was a slight knock on the door. And into the room came Ed Meese, who was the counselor to the president. Ed Meese, soon to become Attorney General of the United States at the Department of Justice, he was then part of what was called the Troika, the top three advisors and functionaries around President Reagan in the West Wing of the White House. And those were the famous Meese, Ed Meese, this man, Baker, Jim Baker, the White House Chief of Staff, and Michael Deaver, who basically represented the First Lady Nancy Reagan in this group of the Troika. So the knock on the door from Ed Meese. And the counselor to the president, Ed Meese, walks in. And Meese had been one of the top aides to President Reagan, who was in the hospital next to his gurney when he was taken into the hospital right after he was shot in the assassination attempt uh, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon right after lunch earlier that day. And that was May 30th of, as I recall, May 30th, 1981. Well, Ed Meese comes in. And uh, I said, Ed, and Ed Meese, by the way, was my boss, the chief domestic policy advisors, Martin Anderson's boss. So it went President Reagan, Ed Meese, my boss, Dr. Martin Anderson, and then me as his chief aide and policy analyst in the Domestic Policy Council. So Ed Meese walks in and I say, Ed, would you like me to leave? And Ed Meese says, oh, no, Barb, you know, you're one of us. Stay. So Ed Meese pulls up a chair. Now it's three of us in Ed Gray's office. And Ed Meese turns to Ed Gray. And he says, Ed, this is very important. It might be one of the most important questions I ever ask anyone in my life. He said, we're not sure that Ronald Reagan, that President Reagan is going to survive. And if he does, that he's going to be mentally competent enough to continue as president. Ed Meese then told us that they, presumably he and Baker and Deaver, that we, Ed Meese said, had decided not to invoke the amendment of the Constitution that would make Vice President Bush acting president. And so Ed Meese turned to Ed Gray and he said, Ed, because we've decided not to invoke the Constitution and make Vice President Bush acting president while Reagan is in the hospital and recovering, we just want you to know, and we've all decided that I should come and ask you, that while Reagan is in the hospital, if he's not able to make his own decisions because you were his press secretary and all the time that he was governor of California and now you're his deputy domestic policy advisor, that we believe that you think more like Ronald Reagan than anyone else in the world, we want to know if you would be willing to make the decisions that we would portray to the American public in the world as the president's decisions during this time. Now, I can't begin to tell you, Bonnie, how unconstitutional and illegal that is. Ed Gray balked at that. To give him credit, he said, I don't know how I can do that, Ed, to Ed Meese. But Ed Meese prevailed upon him to at least consider it. As fate would have it, it was not necessary. But I was present, and I'm for the first time making this public, this incredible moment that I was privy to in the West Wing of the White House the night that Reagan was shot.
there were other major experiences, Bonnie, that actually were very important in leading to my decision to publicly resign from the Reagan White House and Justice Department. The first of those is truly shocking. I had two hats, my hat at the Department of Justice and my hat at the White House. While I was in my office at the Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division, this was in 1982, the, the right-wing Republicans were putting forth something called the Human Life Bill. That was a proposed law in Congress. And they had also proposed something called the Human Rights or Human Life Constitutional Amendment. Now, these were spearheaded out of the office of then-Senator Jesse Helms. You may remember him. He's a very far-right-wing radical, in my opinion. And the bottom line of what the Human Life Bill and Human Life Constitutional Amendment proposal said was that under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, that they were trying to define the unborn, that is, fetuses, as persons under the 14th Amendment, uh, and additional language in these different bills and proposed constitutional amendments also stated that you could not abort based upon gender discrimination, in other words, just because it was a male or a female. You could not abort just because of its race, for instance, black or Hispanic or Asian, etc. So while I was at my office in the Department of Justice, because I knew that President Reagan and his top troika were against the Equal Rights Amendment and that the Republican Party had, for the first time in history, come out against the Equal Rights Amendment, I called up Jesse Helms's office in Congress, in the Senate, and I asked for his top aide on the abortion issue. That gentleman came on the phone, and I played my Columbo routine. I led him to believe that I agreed with them that we should not have an ERA. And I, I said, you know, uh, this is Barbara Honiger. I'm the, you know, equal rights, uh, non-gender discrimination uh, director of the Attorney General's Task Force here at the Department of Justice. And I've noticed that there might be a major political problem with the language of your proposed human rights bill and human rights constitutional amendment. And he, he said, well, what's that? And I said, well, the problem is that this were to pass either the bill or the constitutional amendment. Uh, you are making unborn females persons under the 14th Amendment and giving them equal rights in the womb. But because you're against the ERA, you, you want to take those rights away at the moment of birth on. That's not going to fly politically. And there was a pause on the phone. And Senator Jesse Humps' top aide on the abortion issue, who was involved in writing those very bills and constitutional amendment proposals, he said, oh, yes, Ms. Honiger, you're right. We just realized that ourselves. So don't worry. We have rewritten the language of the proposed bill and constitutional amendment to remove sex and race as characteristics of the unborn that would not be allowed to be aborted. So let me just say what that means. What that means 
is that the right-wing Republicans were actually willing to change the language of their proposed human life bill and human life constitutional amendment so that it would be okay to abort girls in the womb. It would be okay to abort blacks in the womb just to be sure that there wouldn't be an inadvertent equal rights amendment for girls and blacks from the moment of birth on. This is shocking. This is absolutely unconscionable and reprehensible, and it underlines the truth about what they're really about. They don't want anyone but white males to have full rights in this country. And when you talk to them one-on-one, they will admit that. But there were other reasons, and they had built up over the two and a half years that I was in the White House and the Department of Justice. Another shocking experience was the keynote address to the American Bar Association annual convention, and I believe it was in either 1981 or 82, in that period. It's on record. You can read it. That Ed Meese, the same man, actually advocated that there is no privacy right whatsoever under the U.S. Constitution, and he also advocated publicly in his keynote address to the American Bar Association that the 14th Amendment protections of our U.S. Constitution should not be applicable to uh, to citizens as citizens of the 50 United States states, but only to U.S. citizens as citizens of the United States itself, the federal government, and therefore that any state, and he used the example of Mormon majority Utah, any state of the 50 states of the United States should therefore, the attorney general, or about to be attorney general of the United States himself argued publicly, that any state of the United States should be able to legally outlaw all abortion, to have a state religion, like Iran, to outlaw all but state-approved religious newspapers, etc. In effect, the Attorney General, or about to be Attorney General of the United States, was saying that the 14th Amendment, which is the constitutional fruit of the Civil War, as well as the famous Marbury versus Madison Supreme Court decision, should be null and void. It is therefore no coincidence that the Southern Republicans who want to ignite a culture war in this country so they can refight the Civil War, are so-called states' writers. They want to go back to the Constitution literally before the Civil War and before the 14th Amendment when slavery was legal in the South and women were not recognized in the Constitution. American women, remember Bonnie, only received the right to vote in this country in the suffragette movement in the 1920s. And as I mentioned before, full adult American women citizens were only officially recognized as persons under the 14th Amendment itself by the Supreme Court in the early 1970s in a discrimination case in the workplace brought by a female military officer in the Air Force. All right, so that's the first incident that comes to mind. And the second incident, which is almost as shocking, was the day that the Republicans led by Phyllis Schlafly, succeeded in killing the Equal Rights Amendment. As you may recall, and this was in, as I recall, 1982, there is a period of time after a proposed constitutional amendment uh, is passed by Congress for a certain number, a percentage, I believe it's two-thirds, it might be three-quarters, of the state legislatures have to ratify it. At the time 
of the Republican convention in 1980, it had not yet reached the requisite number of states. And there was a huge push by the Republicans because for the first time they came out against the Equal Rights Amendment to kill the Equal Rights Amendment and actually prevent the requisite number of state legislatures from passing, from ratifying it. Well, that actually happened. And it, I believe it was in 1982. In any case, I was in the White House at the time. And because I was the top political appointee for uh, women's rights, so-called, I was also then already head of the so-called ERA alternative, which they had no intention of really uh, doing anything about. Uh, I was invited to the banquet at a big hotel in Washington, D.C., celebrating the death of the ERA. And I'm here to tell you that Phyllis Schafly was up on the stage at the main table at the dais. She was surrounded by people like Morton Blackwell, who was a right-wing uh, pa passionate right-wing political flack in the White House. And at the moment where they announced the death of the ERA, the band played, Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. I, I felt like someone had put ten knives into my gut at that moment. It's extremely important, Bonnie, for your listeners to understand that the main argument of the right-wing Christian theocratic fanatics in this country who are behind the abortion clinic violence and want it to escalate into an outright shooting war because the right-wing cannot prevail in elections without a fear climate in this country, the bottom line of how they have increased their numbers of supporters ever since 1980, the 1980 election, is by misleading Christians themselves to believe that abortion is murder. But fundamentalist Christians, these evangelical fundamentalist Christians, believe in the literal word of the Bible. But the Bible is very clear itself that abortion or, or killing a fetus is not murder. And everyone who is a Christian hearing this program needs to go to the Old Testament. They need to go to the book of Leviticus, which is the law that they believe was given to human beings by God. And you will see that the only mention in the Bible is in Leviticus, and it says, and this is not a precise quote, but this is the gist of it, if a man hit a woman, strike or attack a woman who is pregnant, if the fetus dies, it is a mere dis misdemeanor. In other words, it's not even a crime. But if she dies, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He must be killed. So it's only the woman's dying that is murder, not the fetus. And the evangelical Christians and fundamentalist Christians believe that they should follow the exact words of the Bible. Well, those are the exact words of the Bible, and abortion is not murder, according to their belief, from God himself.